you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Electric People. What's up, everyone? <laughs> We've got one of my favorite guys in the entire company on with us today, Felipe Barros. He is uh, one of the managers of the Boston Central team. Uh, along with his brother Tiago, Ronnie Donnelly, and Greg Penn. For sure. For those guys, the the band of brothers guys. down there. Um, so Felipe, if you don't know, he started with the company in 2015. Mm-hmm. He was recruited down in Maryland. We'll get into how you ended up down there uh, a little bit later. What a story, bro. A little bit later. Um, and he was working with Ryan Tall in that D.C. North office. Uh, quickly kind of rose through the ranks down there. Ryan called me in, I want to say 2016-ish, 2017, and he just said, hey, look, I've got this guy, Felipe Barros. He he needs to be in a leadership role. I just don't have the room in my current office to kind of promote him. And he said he's from Boston. I know he'd love to kind of get back up north. Are you open to bringing him back You know, up to New England? And I was like, heck yeah. I know we'd met a couple times. And Heard a lot about you, and, and I'd worked with your brother a little bit. So uh, made the move back up to Boston and started working with the Boston South team with uh, Bryce and Ben. And then um, we formed the Boston Central office kind of out of thin air. We took you and your brother. We took Greg and Ronnie from another team. Hail Mary, bro. Uh, hell, was, it, was a, it was a wing and a prayer yep. that we started that team. <laughs> and um, fast forward to today, this team now just had its second consecutive quarter with over 300 installs. Yep. You're the number one team in New England right now. Uh, I'd say your stock is at an all-time high right now. It's up and to the right. Up and to the right. Up to the right. <laughs> so, um, dude, one thing I've always, just to kind of start with, I've been around you now for a couple years, and the thing that I always admire and just look forward to seeing you is you just have this vibe. It's like a swagger that it's like cocky, but it isn't off-putting at all. And everybody wants to be your friend. Um, everybody loves being around you, but yet you have a swagger that is just ultra confident. Like, where does that come from? Yeah, I, th- I think when I look back at it, um, I just realized at a very young age, like you you want to be a guy who's impressive, right? A girl who's impressive. Like, there's got to be something unique about you. And I think that that's like the coolest thing about life, right? Is like there's just something unique about every single one of us. And, uh, you know, mine is maybe the way I dress or the way that I, you know, embody just like having fun with people. But I really just find like there's got to be a uniqueness to you. And I want to make sure that, you know, I emphasize on that and that, you know, is hanging out with people and just, you know, making fun of them and having a good time. But, uh, you know, I just from an early age, I just and I think it stems from something negative, too. Right. Like I I come from nothing. So having that mentality that I want what I can't have, you know? And I think that I wanted those shoes I could never have. I wanted those clothes I could never have. I wanted that car I could never have. And uh, and I think that's a lot of where it stems from. So mm. it's like things that I couldn't have, I wanted. And, you know, I'm blessed today to have these things. And and so I just, 
you know, it's just kind of my flair. And, you know, talking about Ryan Tall, he knows this, but it's, it's just your sauce, man. It's your drip, you know? At what point did you start believing you could be great at this job? Uh, I think, you know, I had a, and just a, a recap too, my, like the first day I come out to sell solar, uh, my brother basically is like, hey, we're gonna go out shadowing and uh, takes me out to, I think, Bill Ricca and we get to the area and he's like, all right, get out. And I'm like, what do you mean get out? And he's like, thought we were shadowing. And he just basically kicks me out the car and uh, I, he's like, just talk to people, bro. Like, just, you know, just see how it is. And I start talking to, to uh, customers. And I think that in that moment, I hated him for kicking me out of the car because it was super embarrassing. But it also taught me a valuable lesson that, you know, action and execution is the most important. And uh, I think that that's one of the greatest things. So when he kicked me out of there, it just forced me to learn fast. And, uh, you know, and then I, you keep doing that over and over again and you get to a point where you're like, dude, I think I can, I think I can do this. You know? And did, did you start out like doing well right out of the gates or did oh, it take no. you a minute to kind of get figured out? Yeah, no way. Uh, you know, and um, I think I, I started it off in this mentality, like I want to be rich, right? Mm-hmm. I talked about being broke when I was, when I was young, raised by a single mom primarily. So it, it stemmed from this mentality, like, I want to be rich. I want to have money. I want to do things because I've never had that. So I think that um, it's it. a lot of it stemmed from that mentality of, like, I want to have something because mm-hmm. I've never had anything, you know? And I feel like as a child, dude, a lot of times I felt very lost. I felt very alone. You know, my brother's moving up. My mom is, you know, working, getting home at 6 p.m., dealing with the pretty you know, rebellious kid. And I think that from that early age, I was just like, I want to have something that I can claim as an accomplishment. Mm. And uh, honestly, Adam, till today, my greatest accomplishment, and I will tell anybody this, is just graduating high school because of the struggles I had with academics, with leadership at a young age. You know, I I just was so rebellious. I want to do things on my own. And so, and I think when I look in business today, I've always had this little chip on my shoulder of like, I want to do it in my own style. I want to do it in my own way. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's authentic. You feel like you do have a chip on your shoulder? Yeah. What, what causes that? Uh, I think, um, I think it it stems a lot from where I come from, you know, I'm from East Boston. Um, you know, I went to, you know, under, underdeveloped schools, um, you know, and it's just, you know, my parents, I'm, I'm a first generation Brazilian. You know, my parents come here, they're working three jobs. My mom's pregnant, you know, basically just trying to survive. And uh, and so I think that a lot of it just stems from that, you know. Do you think that, do you think that um, you have to have a chip on your shoulder to be really good at this job? Or can anyone be good at it? I think anyone can be great. I think, you know, the chip, uh, feeling like you've been let down by life. You know, a lot of times I felt like a victim of all these circumstances that were happening to me. Mm-hmm. And I think the day that my life took a 360 was the day that I grabbed life by the horns and I said, you know what, everything is my fault. And, uh, you know, Uncle G had said this quote that really stuck by me and said, no matter where you are, there you go. 
And I think that what that quote meant to me at first, I was like, what, is, what does that even mean? But I think what it meant to me is where you are is where you're supposed to be. And it's a cause of everything that you've believed or that you've done or decisions you've made. And when you can control life and say that, you know, if it's up to be, it's up to me, it just puts you in a, uh, you know, I'm driving this car. I'm not sitting in the back seat. Mm. And I think that that mentality is what flipped everything for me because up to about 18, it was all victim mentality. Right. Right. My parents don't care about me. My mom doesn't, you know. Why have I been me. dealt this hand, basically? Yeah. Why, why have I been dealt this? And the day I changed my life is when I hear, no matter where you are, there you go. Mm. And that really got me just everything that happened. I mean, if the lady in front of me, uh, you know, you know slowed down her car and I hit into the back of her, it, it wasn't her fault for slowing down. It was my fault. For you falling know, too close. Yeah, everything was my fault, mm -hmm. everything. And when I took that ownership mentality, that's really where I started, started to see results happen. I started to feel a little more fulfillment. I started to feel a little more happiness, you know, and you know, it's been about seven years, eight years living like that. And I think that when I analyze a lot of the success I've had, it's because of that mentality that, okay, this happened. Now, how do I react to it? Because it's my fault. Yeah. I think that's really, really critical um, for anyone that becomes really successful. I think there's a turning point in their life where they understand that um, if they don't like the results they're getting, the first thing they have to do is rather than think about all the th all the reasons that went wrong and blame people or circumstances or whatever, the sooner that they flip that and say, what could I do different to have created a different result? And then you start going back through it and you say, you know, I shouldn't have engaged in this conversation to begin with, or I shouldn't have followed too close, or I should have communicated better with somebody, or, you know, you, you just, you, when you take complete ownership, um, I really think it's a huge like growth moment for any leader. Yeah, and if you analyze that, right? Like if you analyze that decision that like, dude, this is gonna change because of me, what is that? It's vulnerability. Like the greatest, greatest leaders in this universe have vulnerability. Mm. And it's vulnerability with yourself. It's saying, dude, I'm wrong. You know, like you said, like maybe I could have, you know, spoke to that person in a better way. Maybe I could have done this different. It's really just saying, because you're fighting your ego at that point, right? You're like, dude, I don't really want to change here or I was right or whatever. But when you want to get the result, you have to get the vulnerability first and then you'll start to find solutions that will create, that will answer that problem for you. Mm. And I see that more and more and more and the higher you grow, it's just magnetized on a bigger level. So you grew up in a town called Everett Massachusetts, I, right? I was born in East Boston. East Boston. Okay. Yeah, all my friends were from Everett. You know, everybody I hung out with was from Everett. But so everyone listening company wide, can you give us like the, the 30 second description of what East Boston is like even today or when you were growing up? Kind of compare it to, you know, maybe another city or just kind of give us a good feel for what East Boston's like. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's definitely it, today it's, getting more developed in, right? They're trying to build it to a second Boston, basically. But, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, it was this very underprivileged, um, you know, underdeveloped in ghetto. Um, you know, it's this, uh, you know, every corner till today, I look behind my back no matter where I'm walking because 
that's the city I was raised in where you got to watch who's behind you. You got to be cautious. You got to be street smart. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it was the most violent place like, uh, you know, like a Chicago or some of these areas that are just, you know, super, super um, violent. But it was an area that um, you had to ha- have your head on a swivel mm. to make sure that, all right, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, different gangs, different, you know, yeah. projects and stuff like that. So one of my favorite stories you, you guys have told me is um, your older brother, Tiago, we had on the podcast a couple months ago. Um, and I actually didn't have him tell this, this story, but um, I love the stories you guys have told me about him, like sending you into stores to like steal stuff. Oh, <laughs> like, so like, uh, I know you grew up in a tough town and yeah. you grew up in a kind of a broken home. Um, and it's just you and your brother, right? Correct. And then your mom. So you and your brother had a lot of time on your own to yeah. just kind of get into mischief. Can you uh, describe some of the, <laughs> just some some of the, the mischief that you guys would get into? You know, so, and it all stems, like in the beginning, what I said, like I'm, I'm in this mo- mentality of like, dude, I, I want things and that I cannot have right now. Mm-hmm. And that mentality stems into, well, maybe if I do this, I'll have that. Right. Right. So uh, I remember in about sixth grade, uh, seventh grade, I start stealing from, you know, CVS candies and I start selling them in school. So I'm basically <laughs> after school, straight to CVS, to Walgreens, stealing it. Next day, I'm bringing it all to school and I'm selling candies and whatever, sodas, whatever it was. Okay. That stems into... Big maybe, margin on stolen oh, goods, by the way. Dude, I'm cashing out. Big <laughs> margin. 20 yeah. bucks a week. Um, and then that stems into maybe I can go into stores and do this stuff, you know? And so I start thinking maybe I can get, you know, these North Face jackets that I like or all the kids are wearing. Uh, maybe these diesel jeans and right. And that stems into that. And, uh, you know, it gets to a point where I, I start, you know, stealing <clears throat> as much as possible. I start, to be honest with you, uh, I start stealing from my mom's purse. I'm, you know, 16 years old. 15 years old, stealing from my mom's purse to get the shoes I want. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm stealing from my, my niece's, you know, piggy bank. It was probably a year old. Yeah, just like, poor judge, poor judgment. Poor judgment. Not a bad kid, but yep. just no leadership in my life to be like, hey, this is not right. So what was the turning point? The turning point really came when, you know, you got caught so many times doing that, mm-hmm. that you can't fly with that anymore. And, you know... Um, I, th- I think it really stemmed from, you know, a, a 12th grade. I got kicked back in 11th. My mom's getting married. She's like, hey, we're moving to Medford, uh, moving in with your stepfather. And I want to see, like, if you can change. And if you can come with us, I feel like it's just going to be a better environment for you. And God bless her, that was the best move I could have made. Mm. I went to an t- entirely different school for senior year. Um, you know, I start walking these three to four mile walks from my house to my school. And I remember just being on those walks and I know my brother talked about this, but listen to Nipsey Hussle and he's just talking about like, hey, I come from this environment, but if you're gonna change that, these are the steps and principles you gotta do. Mm. So when I started you know, distancing the violence in his music, but actually reading the messages of it, I started learning that, hey, I can change. Hey, I can do this, right? And it started giving me this, this real motivation in my life. So I start thinking, you know what? I'm gonna try to bang out 11th and 12th grade in one year. And I go up to my dean, I ask him, you know, can you help me with this? 
and uh, basically accepts it. And I had so many amazing, you know, uh, students that helped me out too, that would just teach me things and pull me aside. And uh, I graduated that year on time. And it just, I just remembered every year how much of a struggle it was. I was expelled in sixth grade. Hmm. I had 32 suspensions since kindergarten. So I was just this off the walls kid. You tell me to sit down, you turn around, I'm up, I'm running around, you know? There was just no, I, I feel that uh, I just, I wanted some attention, you know? I wanted to feel like I was a special kid. And, uh, and so it stemmed me to do these wrong things. And um, I learned so much from that mm-hmm. because there's no elevator to success. You take the stairs. Right. Right. And I, I was trying to take the elevator. Yeah, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. And uh, you do it enough. Yeah, you got by a couple times. You end up getting caught, you know, and um, and then you really start to learn. All right. Well, I can't shortcut this. I really got to if I want to be successful, I really got to go and give it my all. And uh, and I've learned a lot from my wins, but I've learned way more from my failures. Yeah. Yeah, I got caught stealing baseball cards when I was 13. I got tackled in a parking <laughs> tackled in a parking lot by the by the a one bat. time you do it. Yeah, I stole like, from like uh, a grocery store. Me and my cousin. It was a big it was a big haul. Yeah, we had like boxes of cards. <laughs> Most people get still packs. We stole boxes like yeah. 32 packs per box, and uh, I got tackled in a parking lot uh, by a bagger from a grocery store. Yeah. So it's not good. Humble beginning. That was my moment, though. <laughs> I literally never stole again after that. Well, and I think, right, like, I think if we analyze, like, kicking it back a sec, why is Central so successful? I think there's just something where people in our office understand that these four DMs that they have, we all come from nothing. Yeah. We you all, relate to them. All four of us, right? And what I always say is if you can create this relatability with your people, you can create a following. And if you can create a following, you can create an empire. Yeah. You know, and the people in the office, they feel like we see this this vision in them that they might not see. Right. I love this comparison where like a soldier, he can barely see behind the trees, but a general, he knows exactly where you're going. Mm. Right. And he sees that. And I feel like today. I see these people struggling. I see what they're going through. I, re- I remember everything that I've been through. You know, Thiago remembers, Greg remembers, Ronnie remembers these humble beginnings, you know, like the baseball card experience. And it just reminds you that I can see something for this person that they might not see yet. Yeah. You know, and I think that that just influences me and impacts me so much to be like, hey, I know where you come from. I know the, the, the mentality you have. I know the things that set you back. Let me try to help you and teach you what I've learned along that way. And, uh, and hopefully we can become something from that. You ever feel like there's there's been times where I believe in someone more than I feel like they believe in someone or they believe in themselves. Yeah. You know, it's like I'll believe in someone so strongly and I know they've got greatness inside of them, but like they don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like your team is made up of you know, maybe the most diverse group of people we have in, in especially in New England, um, maybe on the East Coast. I mean, it's just every ethnicity, you know, we've got a ton of females, we've got, I mean, all walks of life in your office. Do you feel like just your leadership group attracts that diversity or is that by design or is it just 
you guys just believe in people. Like, what what is it yeah. that has attracted such a diverse group? I would say even for us four, like, we're very emotional leaders. I'd say with the exception of Greg, like, he's very logical. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the three of us are very emotional leaders. And I think we actually believe in people a little too much sometimes. You know, Galileo says you can't change a man until he wants to change himself. And I feel like sometimes we're just believing in these people and they are not having that same belief and desire in them in themselves. But we just keep giving everything we can as a service. And uh, and then some people flourish from that. And those people that have flourished have been with us, you know, for the last two to three years and uh, are really winning right now. And they're loving life. And uh, they're such an asset to the culture. But we really just, you know, I think when you come from these experiences, it just makes you feel like, dude, whatever you've been through, I feel like I've been through something similar. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, here's what I did to get out of that. Yeah. You know? And so. How many times have I come to you guys and told you you got to fire some people? Yeah. And we're like, no, oh, but this guy's about to turn around. <laughs> yeah, He's exactly. almost there. It's almost clicking. Hey, Boston Central, if you're listening, <laughs> these guys have saved your jobs from me at least yeah. 10 times if, yeah. you're, uh, if you're not performing. So I'm always like. Here's the list of peeps that need to be fired. <laughs> yeah. And they uh, they fight for you guys. Yeah. Why do you guys fight for them so hard? Uh, you know, I think in, in business today, there's just so many leaders who don't, you know, and if we're going to like separate ourselves, uh, I think what makes us unique is that, hey, I'm going to be that guy who calls you at 8 p.m. because I know you're feeling down. Right, I'm going to be that guy who shoots you a text at 10 p.m. because, you know, I believe in you. And I think uh, what really when I analyze B.C., how have we won, you know, how have we grown ever since we started? It's a servant mentality. It's no matter what, I'm here to serve you. You know, uh, one of my favorite quotes, my pastor said, you know, one time I was in church, he said, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Mm. So I think I constantly think about that. Like, it's all about service. It's all about giving back. And uh, when you do that enough, people will appreciate it. You know. Well, you guys, you guys blur the line with work and friendship. I think, sure. I think really, really well. I think a lot of DMs try to keep. Um, the relationship working only, which is fine. But I think for you guys, especially with the type of sales rep you guys attract and have in your team, it feels like a family. I mean, every weekend I see you out with your sales reps. Um, you guys plan huge activities all the time. You're just always doing things and work is, I mean, it's your life. And you know, you're, when you hire someone, it's almost like you're deciding, am I willing to have this person be a part of my life or not? not just from a work perspective, but on a personal level. Oh, I, I said that at the interview, right? The expectation of someone to be successful here, it starts at the interview. Mm. It's it's what's the tone you set the first day. And I tell people, I say, listen, I have a seat at the board. I don't make all these decisions. I got three other DMs that, you know, also make decisions with me. But I'm very cautious with this because the moment I accept you here, you're not just joining a business. You're not just joining my team. You're actually joining my family. You know, a lot of these people are people I've seen come from absolute nothing. And, you know, I gotta make sure that I bring the right people here. You know, you wouldn't just let an apathetic, you know, complainer, uh, you know, person into your family. 
And so I'm not going to allow that. So if you're going to come here to make excuses, if you're going to come here to, to be complacent, if you're going to come here to, to try to, you know, destroy something or, or be selfish about it, I just don't even want you here. You know, you mentioned Nipsey Hussle, rapper, big influence in your life. Um, who, who, who else has influenced you and how has that translated into the way that you approach the job right now? So, um, I, you know, Nipsey for sure. I think the one who's transformed me into a businessman, uh, is Ed Milette, you know, I mean, just, I'm in this RTA group. I'm in this private leadership group. I mean, just, I'm just a big fan of him. Um, actually you put him up, me on to him. So yeah, he's good. very grateful for that. Uh, uncle G really just, you know, he just really got me sparked up. Like you gotta, you, you need money to survive. So you got to figure it out. And uh, I think he really kickstarted, you know, this little businessman in me that was like, I got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was very inspirational to me. I think big, you know, big people that are inspirational to me is Bob Marley, um, you know, just basically fighting for something he believed in uh, while his, you know, people are basically being, you know, uh, not supported by the government and stuff like that. So. I felt a very big inspiration in him. I did a school project when I was uh, graduating high school and they were like, you get to choose one person who's done an impact in the world. And I chose him. And the more I kept learning about him, I was like, this dude literally, you know, was creating music for his people to fight, you know, this, this government issue. Um, very, very big inspiration to me. Same thing with like a Martin Luther King, you know? So I think those are my big, my big four, I'd say, mm. five is, uh, you know, Ed, Nip, uh, Grant, Martin Luther King, and Bob Marley for sure. And it's actually pretty cool, right? Like, I got tattooed on my leg. Uh, I have a tattoo of Nipsey Hussle, his old face. I got a tattoo of Bob Marley, and I also have a tattoo of my big brother. And uh, just huge inspiration to me. Just, I would be nothing, nothing without him. And just was like a father to a to his little bro. Yeah. What's it like working with your big brother? It's awesome. He's uh, he's tough to handle sometimes. Uh, you know, we get into these these yelling matches at times, and Ronnie and Greg are like, what the hell are these guys doing? <laughs> but uh, it's how we were raised. Um, I'm very, very grateful that I have a good relationship with him hmm. because, uh, you know, not only is he, like, my best friend, but he's also just, this, just such a smart individual when it comes to the door-to-door industry when it comes to business and um i know i've had a big impact on him but he's had just a major impact on me he's just such a visionary he believes in people and and so i think that you know he's just it's just so cool just doing it with the people that you care about yeah you know well you started in door-to-door doing um cable right yeah in boston and then I was cashing out, making 60k a year. Yeah, you were killing it. <laughs> and then how'd you end up down in DC? So this is a, actually an awesome story. Okay, so um, we recruit some guys to Solar City. Um, one of my best friends out in Cali, Junior. He becomes a manager. Um, he moves down to uh, Delaware, and he's like, "Hey guys," and we had left, gone back to Comcast, and he's like, "Hey guys." I got promoted, I'm going to Delaware. I'd love to run this business with you guys. So we moved down there, had about nine guys, uh, you know, 
living together in this three bedroom townhouse for about six months. Uh, I got a puppy. She starts eating all of our worst decision ever. Worst decision. What kind of puppy? Uh, An Akita. Oh, yeah. Just the worst customer that Thiago installs basically gives it to us. Okay. Okay, it's a pup. By the way, just public service announcement: anyone who is currently single and working for this company, do not get a puppy. It will not only will it cost you the money <laughs> thousands. Not only will it cost you the money to like actually get the dog, then you got to do all the shots, all the vet stuff, whatever. Opportunity cost that puppy will cost you tens of thousands of it, dollars. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, a responsibility I'm a, there. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a family man. I got kids. I got a house. I buy a puppy during quarantine last year. Toast, worst dog ever. <laughs> worst. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this I've had to put a new fence in. I've had to buy, I mean, I'm like 15 grand in this dog and she was 500 bucks. You know what I mean? So, and if my kids would let me, I would give that dog away in two yeah. seconds. I wouldn't even and think twice. But word for word, I remember when we got this puppy, I look at T and I'm like, bro, we can barely take care of ourselves. You <laughs> yeah. want to take care of a pup? And he's yeah. like, it's going to be awesome. She's so cute. No, horrible um, idea. Destroyed 13 air beds in this house. Yes. We're dead broke. If you're single, do not get a puppy. <laughs> Repeat. And if you don't For believe sure. me, West Coasters, ask Jordan Williams. Yeah. He is anti-dog to the max. <laughs> so anyway, all right. So you get the Akita. Akita's just destroying Destroying airbeds. Yeah. I You're mean, how old at this point? Uh, I'm probably about 19, 20, 21. Right. I mean, you guys are down in Delaware, yeah. uh, foreign land, trying to survive. Yeah. No money to your name. I eat so many hot dogs. And in your wisdom, your infinite wisdom, you thought, we'll get a dog. Yeah. Add that's that, going to eat. Add that to the list. It's going to eat 60 pounds of dog food a week you know yeah so um basically we're all in this house everybody's just trying to survive <laughs> and um you know uh, right before installs had happened we got terminated and i remember we're like what the hell are we going to do so um we had you know this guy named curtis taylor we had suki they're calling these guys at vivant they're like hey we got these two guys, Phil and T, you know, they're out of a job. They need to go somewhere. So T and I drive down to Maryland and lo and behold, luckily enough, Jordan LaPlace and Keith Euling uh, are running the top team, I think, in the company at that time, doing 600 installs in a quarter. <clears throat> and we get there and we just feel this awesome vibe, this awesome culture. And we're like, what is this? Like, uh, I would love to work here with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we leave the interview, Jordan tells us we have the job. And I look at Thiago and I'm like, dude, how are we even gonna move down here? Like, what are we even gonna do? And we, we don't have no money for a new spot. You know, like we, we're two hours away from here in Delaware. And I remember we went to lunch after and I look up a place, I'm like, dude, I found this two bedroom for $800 a month. Like, we gotta go check this place out if we're gonna do this. We drive about 15 minutes away and we show up in the projects uh, pretty close to Baltimore. <laughs> and uh, we look around and we're like, dude, I cannot <laughs> move here. <laughs> you thought like, East Boston was bad. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Burger King, Wendy's, like block everything saying shut down. The cardboard on the windows. Yeah, boarded up streets. We're like, what the hell? So we leave there. And I remember we're like, dude, I don't know how we're ever gonna make this work. I think it's time to go back to Boston, maybe do Comcast again. And I kid you not, Adam, we're driving up the highway to take the left to get on. 
and I look up and I see first month free. I kid you not. First month free, new building. I say, T, look at that. He's like, no way, bro. We take a left, take a right. I remember it was like, it was yesterday. And we pull up to the front and we're like, look, I'm like, look, T, I give him pep talk. I'm like, look, T, we're about to walk in here. This looks like a nice, nice building. It's all brand new. I need you to act as composed as possible. Because <laughs> if they sense a little bit of excitement of us, they're going to try to close us. Right. Right. We're salesmen. We know this. Yeah. We walk in, see this beautiful two bedroom apartment. And the first thing Thiago does is, dude, this is perfect. Like, we got to move in here. Lo and behold, we signed contracts that day. They gave us a first month free. And uh, and I mean, for probably about three, four months living there, we didn't know really how to get stuff moving or processed. We were broke. And I remember, you know, one of the saddest days of my life is, you know, Thiago basically crying to me like, dude, we, we, we're in this place. We have nothing. We have literally nothing. And Ryan had just, Ryan Tall had just got promoted. And I remember calling Ryan, I'm like, dude, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Like, I think we gotta go. And he's like, dude, I'll pay your rent this month. And, uh, you know, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about two to three grand. It was just to show that he had our back and I just met this guy. And I felt like just a sense of like amazing gratitude towards someone, just, just being there and not even knowing me. You know, just knowing what I'm going through, knowing what I'm struggling with. And, uh, you know, I looked at Tiago and, he, you know, his girlfriend at the time, who's his wife today, is um, basically coming down. He has no money to even go to the movie theaters. He's got no money to spend time with her or do anything. And, uh, and Ryan really, you know, created this certainty and this security around us. You know, and the rest is history. But I think that was the most testing time of my life. And when I look back, I just, I think about those experiences, you know, and leading forward when I look at a a rep who's going through some financial struggles or he's going through some disbelief or there's some depression. Yeah. I remember that kid who got that call and said, you know, how much help I needed. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I always, I always try to embody that leader that Ryan was to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've been in similar situations, both, um, myself you know, years ago, and then also as a leader, where I've had reps that have come to me in, in really dire conditions and had to kind of make those judgment calls. And it's interesting because I would say nine times out of 10 or even more, like 99 out of 100, um, I feel like the right decision from a leadership standpoint is to say, hey, you're, you're, you're in a tough life lesson right now. And, um, this is one of those ones you're going to learn the hard way. And I think it's important that you learn the lesson the hard way. And I've, I've been on that side of it and that's hard to do as a leader because you, you know, I may even have the means to, to give them the 500 bucks or a thousand bucks or pay their rent for a month. But I think it's important people learn lessons the hard way sometimes. Um, because that's how I learned, right? It's like, I, I learned it that way. I learned some really hard lessons early on, but then I've also been on the other side where I've helped somebody and use money out of my own personal bank account to pay for rent or to help pay a mortgage or to help, you know, float somebody to get by. Um, you really have to be, you really have to be, uh, it's a difficult decision to make as a leader and it's hard who to know to help and who not to know to help. And also, so I think you're really, really lucky that Ryan was your leader at that point because there's a lot of guys that probably wouldn't have helped. 
Yeah. Um, it's it's in awe that till today I even get goosebumps just thinking about the impact he's had on me. Yeah. You know, it's it's till today it still resonates with me that this guy not only gave me the mentorship, he took the time to teach me things, he made sure I was having fun, you know, and uh, and I, I don't think you ever you ever forget those leaders that really impacted you. You know, yeah. I think about you the same way, like. Just people just never gave up on you. And I think that I'll probably live the rest of my life still remembering, you know, the guys and, you know, the people who just always kept giving me one more chance or, you know, supported me in a way. And, I, and you know, to double back on what you said, man, it's, it's true. The only way is through, you know. My value on money today, like, I, you know, I've been blessed to uh, just keep buying real estate invested a lot you know major shout out to to don gomez being you know one of my best friends but also a huge inspiration to me and uh i think the value that i carry for money today and the importance of it i remember those times yeah and if i hadn't gone through that yeah you know sam yeah tough times uh they they give you a different perspective right make tough people (laughs) tough times make tough people so you were one of the youngest DMs ever promoted in the company. I know you think Still you were am. the young. I mean, I know you think you were the youngest ever promoted. I think, I think I am. I think there's. You may still. I don't know. How old were you when you got promoted? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. Yeah. And how many days? No, the next day was my birthday. So twenty-two. So they called me like eight p.m. that night and said, <laughs> "Hey, you're twenty. You're twenty-one. Turning twenty-two tomorrow." What I remember is you texting me pleading with me to promote you yeah oh it had before to be. you turn 22 just so you could be the youngest dm ever promoted Mackenzie Watts time. was too good she was making me uh she was putting the pressure on me i'm like dude i gotta i gotta beat this girl by by one year so um so funny yeah um so young dm you're how old today 26 26 so i know I mean, from for me personally, from age 21 to 26, I matured uh, a lot during mm-hmm. that time. And um, I'm now 42. I matured a lot from 26 to 42, right? I matured a lot from 40 to 42. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot that changes. What are some things that you feel like you've matured with over time as you've like grown into this leadership role? I love it. Number one, uh, still a learning experience number one thing is emotional maturity you know things are going to happen like every day is literally going to be a battle yeah uh i i teach this to my mastermind my leadership group i'm like dude every single day you got to get vulnerable to say even though i was right where could i learn from this or where can we develop from this or where can we get better uh and uh, I think number one for me is emotional maturity to understand that things happen. What's the deeper reason, right? Like you knock that door and the customer's you know, rude to you. They're not just being rude to you. They're, they're probably going through something deeper than that and sure. they're just exhausting that on you. So when you say emotional maturity, do you mean the way you react to things? Exactly, the Got way it. you react to things, uh, seeing things. So through. how do you react in the past? Yeah, you know, I, I blow up, I'm an emotional guy. You know, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so. You know, I'd blow up, I'd get furious, I'd get angry, I'd retaliate. Uh, and then when you start learning and developing business, it's that's not how business people function. When you can get in the mentality of someone that's on the other side, right? So 
let's say something happens to me or even you, you yell at me for something like, Phil, you should have done this better. Not just seeing it from my perspective, but seeing it from your perspective and seeing why is Adam angry at me about this? What did I do that he's upset with? Mm. Because when I, what I've learned is when I can start seeing things through the other lens, I actually start to be a little more understandable and it helps me with what I'm going to do next. So I'm not going to retaliate or be rebellious if there's something that I understand that I could have done better in or I could have done, you know, a little nicer in or something like that. Right. So uh, I think when you think about emotional maturity, not just how you react, but also seeing things from different lenses. Um, I think another thing I've learned, uh, you know, is Hold on, before you go on to that, I want to talk about this a little bit more because I, I get so many emotional emails a day and phone calls and texts and it's about, you know, frustration with account progression or frustration with uh, one of their, a DM with one of their reps or vice versa, a rep texting me frustrated with their leadership or, you know, just whatever it is. Right. And I think, um, I always appreciate when people say, Hey, I'm frustrated with this. Um, I've thought about it from the company's perspective or, You know why are we making these certain decisions? If they, if it's clear they've really thought through kind of every angle of like why something's happening and they're still frustrated or they still don't quite understand, those are a lot more meaningful combos, right? And I'm willing to like engage in those a lot more. When people are just reactionary, they're much more difficult to not only communicate with, but um, there, it's like it's just human nature, I don't want to communicate with them as much mm-hmm. because you just know that they're going to be emotional and react in a, in a way that's, it's almost impossible to talk to. Yeah. You're like, I can't even have a conversation with you because you just are so emotional about everything. You know what I mean? So, so I think it's a really important lesson for everyone listening. If you get frustrated, your process, if you find yourself in a frustrating situation, what's kind of your process that you that you do? My process is always, and this has drastically, drastically helped me in business. It's, okay, here's the situation that's happened. What are my solutions? And then also thinking before I get to that solution, how does this other party think? Or what could we do to make this better? Uh, from that perspective as well, or even maybe why why are they reacting this way? Correct. What what is what are the reasons? Not just like what's on the face, right? Like what's the deeper reason that this person is saying this or retaliating this way, right? So if I if I'm a rep and I get angry at you about all oh, my all my accounts are, are this and that and the third, they're all in these situations. I'm not complaining about the physical account work. What I'm complaining about is I need money. I need to figure these accounts out because I'm struggling to pay my bills. This is what I'm going through, right? Right. So that when I understand that, it not <clears throat> helps me sympathize with that person. Like, hey, I know where you're at, but it also helps me understand how I can fix the internal issue, right? And I think the more you operate out of that, where it's like, what are they really saying to mm-hmm. me? I start to really get the best solutions possible. And it's not like I'm perfect or anything. But that mentality has really helped me find an issue with someone, assess the issue, learn from the issue, and then build them up and actually help them grow out of that issue, you know, to, to develop and be something from it. 
Well, I've, I've always noticed something you do is you'll ask more questions. If, if you if you're, there's a situation that's frustrating, and it's interesting because in sales, um, I think what a lot of rookie mistakes people make are if somebody asks you, if a customer asks you, hey, on the door, hey, how long's the contract? Or any point in the sale, how long's the contract? The question necessarily isn't, and it could just be at face value, 25 exactly. years or whatever. But the real question or concern is, what happens if I move? What happens if I need to get a new roof? What if I want out of this thing at some point? What if I'm not happy? What's my commitment, right? Like, and how am I going to navigate these big circumstances that could happen during the contract? Um, so if a customer says, hey, how long is the contract? And you just say, oh, it's 25 years. And you move on thinking, wow, just nailed the answer. Yeah. They may still have five or six concerns in the back of their brain that ends up killing your deal because you didn't ask simply, um, you know, they say, how long is the contract? And you say, really good question. Um, how, how long have you guys lived here for? And they're like, five years. And you're like, cool. Is this your forever home? Or you guys think you'll move anytime soon? Like, what's the game plan? Uh, honestly, we have no idea. And you say, okay, cool. How old is the roof on the house? Oh, it's five years. You're like, all right, cool. Do you know if they're 25 years, 30 or 40, 40 year shingles? Uh, they're 40 year, all right, cool. And I'll say, so um, So something people always want to know when they get started with us is um, obviously how long the agreement is, but more importantly, they want to know what happens if we move, what if we got to get a new roof, all those types of things. And they're always like, yeah, exactly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, is there any other concerns that you have associated with the length of the contract or putting these on your house, right? So it's like you're asking those additional questions, and then they'll tell you what the real concerns are and then instead of just saying 25 years, you're actually answering the real concerns, right? Yeah. So as a manager, I think a lot of managers, they make that mistake of a rep asking my question. And instead of finding out what actually the issue is, they just answer the question, mm-hmm. right? But what do and you, you, you What guys, I'm saying is assess the issue. Right. Right. And bringing it to sales. If a customer says, well, why do you need banking info? Like, I don't want to give you banking info. They're not saying they're worried about their payment info. Yeah, for sure. Maybe they've been through something where somebody was fraudulent, stole that banking info. What they're really saying is, I don't trust you enough to give you my banking info. Mm -hmm. So I sit back at the moment. I've come to the conclusion that if I'm in a house and somebody doesn't want to sign something or give me banking info or whatever it is, it's not what they're telling me on face value. What they're really saying is, I do not trust you enough to actually do this. So I take a moment back to actually, you know, maybe sell myself a little more and say, hey, look, I, you know, I know I understand how you feel, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and you know, basically say like, I, I get it, but here's the reality of this. And this is why you can trust me to put this info in. Yeah. Or why you can trust me to sign this document so that we could schedule that survey. Well, it's why, it's why your credibility is so important as a sales rep, right? It's the way you look, the way you dress, the way you carry yourself. We speak when you're in a home. All those things build that credibility so that when the time comes to ask for the hard things, you have the trust, what, right? The, what's the hardest thing people struggle with in door-to-door? Obscurity. No one knows who you are. Mm. That's it. Because have you seen that when you knock a cold door, they're like, nah, I'm not doing anything today. But when you get that referral, it's like, yeah, what do you need? Right. Right. Why? There's trust. Why? They know who you are. It's obscurity. So. As long as you understand that, right? That's why when you knock doors, you know, and I'm at what, 330 installs today, 
what do I do the first time I knock a door? I talk about all the neighbors in the area. That's how my pitch starts. Hey, how you doing? You know, I, I don't know if you know the Joneses right there. I've installed their homes. I don't know if you know the McCollins right there. I actually installed their house too. Basically why they did this is this, this, and this, you know? And it's like completely different approach, but it's because I understand that they're going to do this because everyone else is doing this. And because I'm not the stranger to this area in Stoughton, you know, I've been here. I have hundreds of installs here. So, and if you analyze the greatest salesmen in this job, they all basically stay in the same tight knit area. They don't leave for years, you know, Don Gomez and Lynn, you know, Richard in his same area, like Greg Penn and Bellingham, Diago in the Cape. I mean, they all basically stay in these same areas. And by the time you knock that door, it's like, yeah, I've done about five installs here. I've done another three over here. I've done another two over here. And that person's just so much more keen to work with you. Mm-hmm. So um, it's all obscurity. As much as you understand that, that's also as much as success you'll have. What's your favorite part about this job? Uh, I think living a life by design is my favorite thing. What do you mean by that? I think um, not only do I get to have fun, I get to work with my best friends. I get to party with my best friends. I get to do fun activities with my with my best friends. I get to make dream my dream money. You know, I, I just bought my dream house three months ago. Um, it feels like I've, I've designed this life. And so I'm very, very grateful for Vivint, for Sunrun, giving me an opportunity to design that, mm. you know. What, um, you guys as a leadership group, your team was, you know, maybe the fastest growing team that we've had in the company for a long time. Mm-hmm. You started from scratch, nothing. Within five quarters, you were doing 300 installs a quarter. Um, you guys are constantly talking about building with your team. How do you get your team bought in on recruiting and helping you guys grow? Yeah, I. if it's recruiting, I say, hey, look, making money's fun. But I tell you, 10 times out of 10, success is best when it's shared. It's cool being rich. It's really cool when everybody around you is rich. Yeah. It's really cool when you're not the only guy with a nice house that all your friends got nice houses, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we're at the beginning of this. But the real mentality is like, think about that friend that all he needs is a little motivation to be here. You know, like, don't you want to be successful with that friend? You know, well, what's cool was what I love about your team is so you, the four of you in New England anyway, maybe, maybe the whole East Coast, I'm not sure. You're the first leadership group we had in New England that all four managers were completely organically recruited, trained, developed, and promoted. And you're all local to Boston. Every other team has an import from Utah or California or Arizona or somewhere that came from another industry, door-to-door, alarms, you know, Vivint, whatever. And you guys are the first DM group that we've had that is completely organic. Um, you know, you and your brother from Boston, Greg Penn is from South Boston, yep. uh, Ronnie Donnelly from Rhode Island, yeah. kind of South Boston or you know, Southern Mass area. And... So what's cool about that to me is everyone that you're recruiting is through your network that you guys have, most of the guys you're recruiting, and they all come from similar walks of life 
from what you guys had growing up, which was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of this tough, you know, living in a like tough upbringing. Yeah. And what's so cool is you guys are breaking the mold for these people's lives. I mean, they, they've grown up with a certain glass ceiling in their head of what's possible because they've, they've only seen their dad or their mom or their uncle or whoever, you know, get to a certain level. And you're helping people break through those glass ceilings constantly, right? So it's like you're literally changing the history of these people's lives. Yeah. So it's a really, really, uh, you know, rewarding, you know, thing to watch from my perspective. But you're on the front lines of it. And so, you know, what's been one of those times where you've just sat back and you've thought to yourself, like laying in bed at night and you're like, man, like what we're doing is incredible. I think the mentality, I, I get that. I'm obsessed with the business, you know? I think I could be working at a Whole Foods, I could be working at a Best Buy, I could be working at, you know, Apple, Nike. I'm obsessed with the business of it. I'm obsessed with helping people grow, duplicating yourself, you know? If you can't train effectively, if you can't recruit, if you can't sell, you can't teach people how to do this job. So. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with the business side. I mean, it's 12 o'clock at night. I'm thinking, how are we growing this business? How are we, are we, the reality is Adam, as a manager, these people have banked all in their chips on you. They've quit their jobs. They've given up everything that they had because they believe in your message that you sold them this dream. Here's what people are making. Here's what people are doing. Here's how you do this. Like they've banked on that. They've mm-hmm. gone all in on that. And I don't take that lightly. You know, these people put their whole investment into this job, but mainly they've put it into me. They've put it into T or Greg, Ron, right? So yeah. I think I'm obsessed with like giving the best experience to them possible. You know, I, I constantly think about that. So, and we're in a time and age where people don't just want to work and make money. They want to have fun. They yeah. want to, you know, I've heard this awesome quote, but like I've lived by this is like work with the people that you want to live life with. You know, I don't hang out with people who don't work for this company. Right. You don't find me hanging out on a Tuesday night with people who don't hang, work for this company. Same. I hang with my people. You don't work here. I don't have time. Really? I don't have the attention span to be out there talking about stuff that don't matter. I want to talk with people who are trying to chase something in life, right? So uh, I, li- I work with people I literally just want to live life with. I want to travel the world with. I want to create businesses with. I want to, you know, impact the world with. And, uh, and I think when you do that, their friends will be attracted to that. And you're going to recruit as a byproduct. You're going to create culture as a byproduct. Yeah. Because once again, they're not only working and making money, but they're also having this extreme, extremely awesome experience with you. Well, what's cool about that is I've had, um, you know, over the years, I've had people leave Mm -hmm. and I've heard comments of people saying, you know, hey, unless you're working with Adam, you, you won't be friends with Adam. And... I heard another person one time say, unless you're making, unless Adam's making money on you, he's not your friend kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I remember hearing that and it really, it really stung 
Um, and it didn't sting because it was true. It stung because, um, like you said, I know people are trusting their life with me. When I convince them to leave whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. come and work with me, um, trust me with their money, their finances, their career. Everything. And everything. That um, if somebody decides to leave and go chase another opportunity, fine. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be your friend or if I run into you at a game or the mall or wherever, I'm still going to be cool to you, right? We'll always be, like, cool to each other. But the people that I invest my time into, my personal time, my friend time, anything outside of work, it's my immediate family, my kids, um, my extended family, and then it's my work. That's it. I don't have time for other people. I mean, I you know, we have... We have all these people. You have you have 80 sales reps on your team. 90. 90 sales reps on your team right now that are trusting you and your managers with their life, right? And so um, you don't have time for people outside of that. Yeah, you know and I, I mean? think I think what burns people the most, right, is that, and I've I've fallen victim to this too, like this mentality that like, you know, people don't care about me. They're only here for 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 profits alone. But what I've realized is the grass is not greener on the other side, it's greener where you water it. And I think the moment I started to flip my mindset to like appreciate everything that I had, I really started to think about the people who helped me get there, you know? And it, it just reminds me to like give back to, to the people that follow me because all these guys that have helped me get here have invested that in me, yeah. you know? You recently started buying real estate. Yes. Um, what, what, uh, so you bought, you just bought your own house, bought your right. first home. For sure. You were making a bunch of money before that though. And before you bought your own home, um, walk me through what you did with, uh, buying some real estate. Like what'd you buy? Like why'd you buy it? Why didn't, why didn't you buy your own house first? Yes. So, and I, I, before I even talk about the good things, I really want to talk about the bad things, right? I, um, two years ago, I traveled, like I said, Boston to Comcast to Solar, back to Comcast, back to Delaware to Maryland. I traveled, and traveling is expensive. Mm. So you're buying new leases, you're getting new license plates, you're getting all these things. It's expensive, yep. the whole process of it. So about two years ago, Adam, I had never paid taxes in my life. <laughs> you just thought six it'll years. Be, it'll be fine. I'm like, I'm gonna kick that can so far down the road, and I'll figure it out later. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all my friends are like, dude, you got to buy real estate. You're doing good. And I'm like, little do that my reps know I've never even paid my taxes. Yeah, you're not going to be able to get a loan. Yeah. What am I doing? And I remember just Don being such an influence and you two like teaching me like, hey, you want to buy, you want to buy this? You want to buy this? A six family, eight family, whatever it is. And uh, Don sends me his real estate agent number, which was yours. And I call him and I'm like, hey, look, Pat. I'm in this situation, you know, I'm 24 years old at the time. And I'm like, I've never paid taxes in my life. You know, I probably owe about 200 grand. And, uh, you know, uh, I got about four or 500 grand in my savings. What should I do? And he's like, dude, before I even get on a call with you, you gotta go handle that taxes. So I'm like, crap, like what am, you know, how am I gonna handle this? So I say, Cool, right? That ownership mentality. I'm gonna grab life by the horns. I'm in the driver's seat. I say, I'm gonna just pay this taxes off. I'll be left with two, I think I had 200 grand, 400 grand at the time. 
I'll be left with two, which is half of what I ever worked for. So I'm like, all right, like I'll just, I'll just pay the taxes. So I remember I paid the taxes and three weeks later I call him. I'm like, Hey bro, taxes is paid. What's next? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I just, I, I paid all the taxes. Like I have to do it if I'm going to move up. And, uh, a month later after that, I had gotten some installs, gotten some checks and, uh, I bought my first eight unit. And the reason I bought the eight unit was because sure I had some money to buy a single and my dream Adam, my dream was to buy my house in my city where I was raised. My ultimate dream is like you live in an apartment or a house growing up apartment. So this was the first house you ever bought ever. Yeah. I've never lived in a house. So you had the money to buy a single fam, buy your own first house. And instead you said, I'm going to buy an investment property first. Yeah. Because what I've realized is that fear, especially when you come from nothing, that fear of being broke will never leave you. I don't care how rich you get in this life. Yep. It will never leave you. Agree. Any rich, the richest person you will meet, if you talk to them and they come from humble beginnings, they will tell you it's this need that I got to figure out certainty because I've had none of that in my life. Yep. And you're never going to, it's never going to reach a point where you're like, oh, I feel at ease because there's always this beast inside mm-hmm. you and the devil on your shoulder. That's like, it can all be taken away. Yeah. Always. Right. Always. So I said, if I'm in a high level door to door sales career, the last thing that I want is more stress on my plate, right? So I don't want to really invest in stocks as much because that's a gamble. I don't really want to invest in these other things or buy a house because that's not a, a return. That's not giving me any return on investment. That's something I got to pay uh, every single month. So I said, if I'm going to get that dream home, I got to get the security that not only takes care of me, but pays for that dream home, mm. you know? So. I knew from the beginning that the, the home was the end goal. It was not the, the, the first stop. So I said, if I want to get there, there has to be properties that pay for that in cash flow. So I bought the eight family and this was really cool because in a, a period of about, uh, I'd say six, seven months, I invested about $1.1 million in real estate. And you know, today I have the dream. Like you say 1.1 of your own cash. My own cash. So $5 million in real estate, basically. Correct. Yeah. I put every cent that I had. You know, I was, rent, I was renting an apartment buying these two buildings. So I bought an eight unit, bought an 11 unit, and then I got my single. And now I need some more buildings to pay the living expenses. Um, but I get, I, I feel like had I not set myself up, I create more uncertainty in my life. And so I'm very grateful, you know, that I bought assets because a single, as much as you want to say it's an asset to me, it's just always going to be a liability. Yeah. There's no cash flow. There's no return. There's emotion. That's it. And so when I started thinking like, I got to set myself up, not for now, not for two years, not for three years, not to look rich, not to look cool, but for life, I started looking at options and, you know, commercial, properties made the most sense for a high level sales career. What's the cash flow right now in your, uh, you have 19 doors. We got 19 doors. Yep. What's the cash flow? Cash flow right now. Uh, you know, prices in Boston have gone up. I've invested here, but it's about six, 7,000 in cash flow a month. And prop by profit and profit. Yeah. After, after your expenses, after, expenses, after fixes, um, I, uh, pays my mortgage. So I never have to worry about that. Pays my car. 
So, uh, you know, basically anything happens with this career, anything happens with me personally, anything happens with uh, my financial situation, whatever it is, I'm covered for the rest of my life on my house and my car. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, I think so many young people, when they start getting big paychecks, they start blowing on dumb stuff. Yeah. And, um, I remember when I was doing door to door early, I was making great money, but then I was like, I was like broke every year at some point. And then I would go out and sell a bunch of accounts, make a bunch of money, pay off debt, whatever. And I'd be broke again in six months. Right. Yeah. I don't want to live in the cycle. I don't want to live in the solar coaster. Yeah. You want, you want to be in the cycle. So I remember when I, when I came out to Boston, you know, 10 years ago and started making good money, I felt like, um, I had a chance to really kind of, uh, kind of like changed the narrative of what it means to be a door-to-door salesman. I felt like it was an opportunity to really build wealth. And so that was kind of what started, uh, you know, talking with Don and I started seeing all these guys make money. I'm like, I gotta get them parking their money in real estate or else they're gonna blow it on dumb stuff. Money does not sleep, but it gets bored. Right. And no yeah. matter how much you have, if you're not, if you're not investing you're it, you'll blow it. it. You're going to find things to spend it on, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. It's a trip or it's a, you know, we're looking for this like high every day and it's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll buy this and maybe it'll make me feel good and I'll buy this or I'll go here and maybe it'll make me feel good. What I've realized, even with this house, is the tangibles will never give you fulfillment. Yeah. Will never give me, I was talking to Dave Yates about this yesterday. I'm like, the house does not give me fulfillment in any sort. You think it sort. will though. You think it will. Oh my God, that trip's gonna make me so happy, right? And so I've started to learn, uh, I'd say in the past year, that fulfillment is this constant chase to being better than who you were yesterday. Mm. That's it. That's what happiness is. It's, you know, going through the battle and being a happy warrior. You know, I'm gonna have a very hard day, but I'm gonna smile through everything. Yeah. And I think that it's contagious when people act like that. Well, think about this. I mean, for anyone listening, uh, you're 26 years old. Mm-hmm. You're making, I would say, an ungodly amount of money for your age, especially. Um, you own 19 doors, two properties, an 11 family, an eight family. Your cash flow on seven grand a month. You just bought your dream house. You got a sick whip. You got a beautiful girlfriend. Uh, it's like you have all these things going for you. And think about it. Five years ago, you were—I mean, you weren't even in the same universe that you are in today, right? So it's like think how much life changes within a five-year period. So anyone listening, if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, I don't know how I'm getting out of this. You're, you're, you're not, you don't even have a place to live and you find somewhere that has the first month free because that's all you can afford. Five years later, you could be accumulating real estate. You could be doing all these things. And what's cool is I don't think you're any more special than you know any other people in our company that have been really successful at. You just worked hard. You caught the vision of it and you, and you took advantage of the opportunity, right? So... Uh, what what is your well maybe we'll just end with this what is your definition of taking advantage of this opportunity? I think 
if I was to analyze like what taking advantage of this means to me, it comes down to impact. It, to me, it comes down to like, you know, what do you want to like? I think a lot about the end. Like, you know, at the end of all of this, you know, I'm, I'm close to my age of, you know, I'm being old, I'm getting wrinkly. And I'm like, looking back. What? Yeah, I, I heard this today. I'll interrupt you and then you yeah. keep on. I heard a podcast Kevin Hart was on, comedian. And they were talking about what motivates him and kind of how his approach to life. He said, here's the way I look at it. He said, my life is a book. And he goes, there's going to come a day when somebody reads my book. And I want people to feel like not only was it the most interesting book they've read, but it inspired them to do something better with their life. Right. And it made me think like, man, how many people finish their book? And if somebody started reading it, it would just be like, this book's boring. Like they, they didn't do anything. They didn't take any risks. They didn't go after anything. They didn't accomplish anything great. It's just a boring book and it was safe. Right. Um, and then how many people's books do you, are you going to read and be like, that was a sick book. Like they took some chances. They did some cool things. They went after some stuff. They did cool experiences. Right. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that the start of every book has to be exciting. There's a portion I feel like of every book that probably is boring and that's the grinding stage, right? That's the stage where you're just like, very lonely. you're like, Hey, look, man, this book's not exciting right now, yeah. but I'm grinding and I'm paying my dues. I'm socking away cash because there's going to come a point chapter four five, seven, whatever, where pop, you make your first move and then it starts happening. Right? Yeah. So, um, but I heard that today actually, and I loved it. I was like, that's so good. Yeah, and I think like at the end, I think the end goal, right? Like I talk about like, I think a lot about like my eulogy or like you know what am I gonna what am I yeah, gonna what want are people, people gonna say about Felipe what are people Barros? gonna say about me? And I I really want them to say he was a servant. He gave to people. He supported and you know he he believed in people and uh, and I think that I try to embody that person every single day. I'm like you know how can I give more? What can I give more to these people? What you know, what kind of service or what kind of different approach can I give for this to help them through this? And, um, you know, I, I, when I always look at it, it's always impact. It's like, how many people did I help? You know, yeah. one of the most gratifying moments I'd say of my life was when uh, we were going over last year, five highest income earners in the East Coast, uh, and all five of them worked in our office. And I said, impact changing these lives yeah man you know and uh yesterday you know seeing you know top 10 highest income earners of last quarter you know and i got four of my personal recruits three of my personal recruits on that list and i'm like i'm helping my friends come out of opportunity you know create these opportunities um that they wouldn't have if it wasn't you know for me so it feels really gratifying knowing that i'm just giving back people that came from the same, you know, struggles as I did. Uh, and I'm helping them become something. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully they can also become leaders one day and impact people. And together we can 
you know, change the world. It's so cool. Um, it's so cool to watch people start making money and changing their life, right? The trick from my experience in a leadership role is helping people keep their money. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can make it and a lot of people spend it. And so I think, um, you know, I would say, you know, your next phase, I know you're already doing it. And any, any leader listening right now, if your reps are making great money, the next step for you as a leader is to help them figure out how to keep it and compound and grow it, right? Um, help people build wealth. Don't help people become rich for six months. Help people build wealth long term. And that, to me, is the most gratifying part of, of leadership and watching people change their lives. But you're right. I mean, it's like it's coming from humble beginnings because it's scary, right? So... Anyway, I, think, I, I I always tell myself this one thing. I say, you know, if you can change your community, you can change your state, you can change your country, and one day you can change the world. And right now I'm focused on changing my community. That's awesome. Well, dude, it's been awesome chat with you. Appreciate you. Love your energy. Love uh, everything you're doing right now. And um, you guys are just on fire right now. It's been fun to watch. Um, and uh, you're doing it in a way that's different, which is really fun for me to watch as well. It challenges me. It cha- challenges the way we've done things in the past. And and uh, and I love it, man. It's been fun. So uh, really proud of you and your brother and Greg and Ronnie and everything you guys are accomplishing. And excited to see what Boston Central does moving forward. So Sure. I just want to tell everybody... You know, uh, no matter what circumstance you come from, um, if you keep pushing through, if you keep, you know, giving uh, the best of your ability to this job, uh, there's gold in the hills and uh, it can really impact you. It can impact the people around you, you know, and uh, I'm grateful and very grateful to have worked with the people I've worked with in this business. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm changing my generations to come. And uh, I want to see more people like that. Felipe Barros, everybody. It's been awesome having you on, bro. Let's go. Um, thanks for listening. And that is a wrap. Another episode of Electric People in the Books. Thanks, guys. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.